welcome back to Basic Bible 101. Again, I apologize for the gap in the podcast. I have been overwhelmed with my other job, my, I guess you might say, real job. So this has had to be put on hold for a time. But let's get right back into it, and uh, we shall persevere as best we can. In our last podcast, we had been introduced to Moses in the beginning of the book of Exodus and had learned that he had been uh, protected from birth uh, from what was uh, supposed to have been a genocide of young Israelite boys. He grew up in Pharaoh's household and was pretty well protected from all that was going on with the rest of the Israelites. As the adopted son of one of Pharaoh's daughters, he was protected until he discovered that he was an Israelite and took up an offense for the re- his brothers and sisters who were slaves. When he saw a cruel Egyptian taskmaster beating one of the slaves, he, did, he uh, fought with him and killed him. As a result, Moses fled to the wilderness and ended up in the land of Midian, where he married a very sweet little shepherdess and worked as a shepherd for 40 years. At the end of this time, he was out working with the sheep and saw a burning bush. And if you remember, that was God's getting his attention. And God told him, I am God, and I want you to go deliver the Israelites. And of course, Moses couldn't at first was surprised that it was God and then said oh no you don't want me to go deliver the Israelites but God made it very clear yes you're the one that should go God's provision for Moses was to send him his brother Aaron as a helper and Aaron became Moses's mouthpiece so Moses would hear from God and tell Aaron what to tell uh, Pharaoh and the people So Moses returned to the land of Egypt and came before Pharaoh and had told him, you need to let my people go. Let us go because we want to go out into the wilderness and spend three days worshiping and sacrificing to our God. And Pharaoh, of course, had said at that time, you must be crazy. I'm not letting you go. Those slaves must not have enough to do. We're going to take away their straw so they can go out and find their own straw for making bricks. But they won't be allowed to let up at all on the number of bricks that they produce. So the Israelites, who had been very encouraged when Moses showed up and said that God was going to deliver them, now began to accuse Moses of making their lives more difficult than it had been before. We will pick up there in chapter 7 of Exodus. Uh, Here we find that Moses returns to Pharaoh and produces these miracles that prove that he is speaking from God, uh, God's authority, uh, namely putting down his staff and having it turn into a snake. And, but unfortunately the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians were also able to do the same. So there was some doubt in Pharaoh's mind as to whether Moses was anything but just a showman. And so he said, no, I won't let them go. Of course not. Well, the next morning Moses had been told by God to go ahead and go back and when Pharaoh goes down to the Nile River and tell him that all of the Nile River will be turned into blood. Now you have to remember that at this time Egypt was very dependent, probably still is, on the Nile River. That that was the source of water for all of their crops, for all of their drinking water. It was the reason that this part of the world had become so prosperous was because that they had had this ready water supply. So sure enough the next morning Moses meets Pharaoh out near the Nile River and tells him what will happen and Pharaoh does not believe him. So Moses has Aaron 
uh, hold his staff out over the Nile River, and when he touches it, it begins to turn to blood. And pretty soon, blood is everywhere. It is in all of their uh, waterways. It's in all of their buckets, water sources to drink, uh, in all of their water that's uh, being sent out to water the crops. And so it's really uh, horrible for uh, Pharaoh, although Pharaoh's magicians were able to do the same thing. They were able to take some water and turn it into blood. Now I'm sure they had some trick to it, whereas Moses was using God's power, and I really doubt that the magicians could have turned all the water in all the areas around Egypt into blood. But it was enough of a uh, imitation of what God had done through Moses that Pharaoh backed off and said, no, I'm not going to let you go. So a few days later, actually about seven days later, Moses returns and, and says to Pharaoh, if you do not let my people go, there will be frogs that take over the whole land, and there will be so many frogs you won't be able to stand it. But Pharaoh does not believe him, and that's exactly what happens. Frogs show up everywhere, and unfortunately, the magicians, Pharaoh's magicians, are able to do the same uh, act of magic. And so Pharaoh dismisses once again all that God is doing, and unfortunately for Pharaoh, things just get worse. In chapter 8, verses 8 through 11 of Exodus, we see that Pharaoh has summoned Moses and Aaron and says, Pray to the Lord to take the frogs away from me and my people, and I will let your people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Moses said to Pharaoh, I leave to you the honor of setting the time for me to pray for you and your officials and your people, that you and your houses may be rid of the frogs, except for those that remain in the Nile. Tomorrow, Pharaoh said, Moses replied, It will be as you say, so that you may know there is no one like the Lord our God. The frogs will leave you and your houses, your officials, and your people. They will remain only in the Nile. So sure enough, that's what happened. Moses prayed, and the frogs subsided. But there were still all these dead frogs everywhere, and it was the stench was unbelievable. And once again, Pharaoh recanted and said, No, I guess I'm not going to let you go. So Moses says, okay, there's going to be gnats come up from the dust, and they're going to be everywhere. And sure enough, little gnats, I don't know if any of you have ever been camping where there's just little gnats around, and they just tend to get in your eyes and your hair, and if you're not careful, you'll breathe them in. That's what it was like only everywhere, so badly that people couldn't even see or hardly breathe without the gnats being everywhere. And this trick the magicians of Pharaoh could not imitate. Once again, Pharaoh said, Pray that the gnats go away, and I will let you go. And Moses does. And before you know it, Pharaoh has recanted once more. And so Moses says, okay, next you're going to have flies everywhere. where You won't be able to even hardly breathe without there being flies all around you everywhere. But not in the land of Goshen, where the Israelite slaves lived. And that's exactly what happened. In chapter 8, verse 25, we hear that Pharaoh has called for Moses, and he says to him, Go, sacrifice to your God, here in the, but stay here in the land. But Moses said, That would not be right. The sacrifices we offer the Lord our God would be detestable to the Egyptians. And if we offer sacrifices that are detestable in their eyes, will they not stone us? We must take a three-day journey into the de desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, as he commands us. Pharaoh said, I will let you go to offer sacrifices to the Lord your God in the desert. But you must not go very far. Now pray for me. 
answered, As soon as I leave you, I will pray to the Lord, and tomorrow the flies will leave Pharaoh and his officials and his people. Only be sure that Pharaoh does not act deceitfully again by not letting the people go to offer sacrifices to the Lord. Well, of course, Pharaoh did once again recant on his promise and would not let the people go. None of this surprised Moses in the least. He had already been told by God that Pharaoh would not let the Israelites go without absolutely having to be broken. And so it is that in chapter 9, a new plague hits the Egyptians, and this is that their livestock die. All of the cattle, all of the livestock in Egypt died, but none of the livestock that was in the land of Goshen where the Israelites were, were touched by this plague. And so shortly after this, the uh, a boils hit and all of the people end up with these big boils and all the animals have boils, the ones that were remained besides the livestock. And so we find that uh, shortly after this, once again, Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let you go, then no, I won't. Uh, hail hits. It's just a terrible hailstorm, and whatever was left after the um, hailstorm is eaten up by locusts. And so uh, all these plagues keep hitting Egypt, and you would think that Pharaoh would say, well, this has to be the hand of God. But Pharaoh, remember, thought he was God, and he just decided that he was going to ignore everything that was happening around him. But the officials of Pharaoh's uh, cabinet said we think you should let these people go there may there isn't going to be any Egypt left to rule if you don't let them go but Pharaoh just says no I'm not going to let them go well then Moses comes and says there's going to be three days of darkness and that's exactly what happens and the weird thing is that the land where the Egyptians are is dark but the land where the Israelites are is not and so at this point you would have to know that that was a supernatural experience. You may say, well, it was some kind of solar eclipse. I don't know what you could say. But whatever God was doing at the moment definitely spooked all of the Egyptians. And they were more than ready for the Israelites to go. And they were pressuring Pharaoh to let these people go. They were just tired of having to endure all this hardship and suffering. But Pharaoh, being the stubborn man that he was, and the fact that God hardened his heart, still would not let them go. Well, at this you're probably thinking, why is it that God was hardening Pharaoh's heart? Well, the Egyptians needed to be taught a lesson. They needed it to be very clear to them that God did not want them treating his people that way. But more than that, God wanted the Israelites to know that he was God. He was a very powerful God, and he could do anything he wanted to do, and that they should trust him. Because when times got tough, after they did leave Egypt, they would need to depend on that mighty and powerful God, and they would need to remember all of these plagues that God brought about. And so we come to the last plague. In chapter 11, it's called the plague of the firstborn. And in, in this situation, God tells Moses, prepare the people, tell them to ask their Egyptian task uh, owners to give them uh, articles of uh, clothing, jewelry, uh, whatever they have, give it to them. The spoils of Egypt, as you might say. And so the, the owners of the different slaves were more than happy to give them whatever they wanted. They just wanted these people to go. And so... Uh, 
Moses tells the people, here's what you should do to prepare for this night, which will be called the Passover night. Uh, find an unblemished lamb from your flocks, and that lamb should be just about a year old, and prepare it by roasting it. Then take some of the blood while you're preparing the lamb for roasting and put it on the doorframe of your house. The people were to eat the roasted lamb with bitter herbs and unleavened bread because they were lamenting the time they'd been in, is in Egypt and because they were going to be in a hurry to leave. They were to eat with their coat on, their shoes on, and their staff in their hand. And they were to stay inside their house that night. So that's what the Israelites did. They took the blood and put it on the door frames of their house, cooked their Passover meal. And remember, the Jews still celebrate Passover to this day in, in pretty much the same way, except I don't think they put blood on the doorposts. But they do eat bitter herbs. They do eat roasted lamb. They do make sure that they have no yeast in their house, just as was commanded at this time. And... Through the night, the whole purpose of this was that in the night when the, the angel of death came through the land of Egypt, it would pass over the Israelites and would only affect the firstborn in, of the Egyptians. And sure enough, from the lowliest Egyptian all the way to Pharaoh's household, the firstborn died that night when the angel of death came through. Let's look for a minute at verses 12 through 14 of chapter 12. We see that it says, On that same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so, you know, just as with many American holidays, we celebrate them because they remind us of some event that has taken place. If it's uh, Thanksgiving, we remember the pilgrims and the Indians and that first winter that the pilgrims survived. If it's uh, Memorial Day, we remember the soldiers who have been lost in wars. And just like these hol holidays that we may celebrate, the Jews developed their own series of holidays built around the events that took place during uh, their history. And one of these, one of the major ones, is the Passover. It is celebrated just about right around the time of Easter, and it is because Jesus was crucified during the Passover, if you, if you recall, in the New Testament, and we will cover that down the road as well. Okay, so we talked about the different plagues, and you should, you would be wise to review again what the different plagues are. And then we find the final plague, the Passover, uh, which is the death of the firstborn, uh, is the straw that breaks the camel's back with Pharaoh. And he says, okay, go. In fact, in the night, as soon as his son died, he calls Moses and Aaron and says, get your people out of here. I don't want to even see you again. And so, sure enough, just as Moses had told the people, the very next morning, they leave immediately. And they take with them all the splendor of Egypt, all the riches, um, all, the, all of their own livestock that has been kept uh, healthy. And um, the bread that they have is unleavened because they didn't even have time for it to rise, and they just leave immediately. 
And as they go, the Lord provides them uh, a symbol, a sign ahead of them. And this sign is a pillar of a cloud during the day. And at night, that cloud turns into a pillar of fire so that night or day they can see that the Lord goes before them. And I think that's an awesome thing. I wish that we had something similar to that today. We don't always have visual signs of God ahead of us. But I think that's where faith comes in, that we have to trust that God has remained true to his promises in the past and will continue to do so as he leads us. All right, so as... And so we see in Exodus 14 that the Israelites are uh, moving out and they get to the great body of water that separates Egypt from the Sinai Peninsula, the Red Sea. And as they get there, they turn and look and see that Pharaoh has changed his mind one more time and has decided to rally his troops and head after them and... uh, either destroy them or take them back. We're not really sure what his intentions were. But it's at this point that the Israelites start to freak out, and they say to, to Moses, did you just bring us out here to kill us? Is that Was that the point? You just really wanted us to be destroyed? Because look, Pharaoh is coming with all of his army, and we have nowhere to go. We are backed up against the Red Sea. But Moses is confident that God is at work. In fact, the Lord has already promised him that he will deliver the Israelites And so the cloud that was leading them moves around and is now between the Israelites and Pharaoh's army. At night, that cloud that turns into a pillar of fire serves as a barrier so that the Egyptian army cannot attack the Israelites. And through the night, the strong winds blow across the Red Sea and provide a dry land pathway through the the sea that the Israelites can cross on. And so they do. They cross immediately. But there's so many of them. Remember at this time there's over 600,000 just men. If you add women and children, there was well over a million Israelites who were crossing. And I don't know what your life is like, but here in Dallas where we drive on the freeways, and at any given time it sure feels like there's a million people out there driving around. You can't get anywhere very fast, and we're in cars. So I can imagine that the children of Israel who are carrying all of their earthly belongings and herding their animals and uh, dragging their kids along across this pathway are moving as fast as they can, but they're still moving very slowly. Well, eventually, they get all the way across, and miraculously, the cloud lifts, and Pharaoh is able to then chase after them. With his chariots and his army on horseback, they uh, take off through this pathway that is divided, dividing the two sides of the Red Sea. Those of you that have seen the Ten Commandments, you know how awesome it is in the movie, and that was with very, very old special effects. I would love to see them remake that movie today because it's amazing what they can do in Hollywood, isn't it? But anyway, so we see that Pharaoh gets halfway across the Red Sea when God decides, I don't need to hold back the sea anymore, and the, the waters swallow up the Egyptian army and they are destroyed. So there is literally nothing left of the Egyptian army, and the people of Egypt are crushed. Uh, They have no livestock left. They have very little crops, what the locusts and the hail haven't destroyed. 
and they really just have to rebuild with the people that they have and and remember all of the firstborn are gone now too and it's a true time of mourning I'm sure for them but on the other hand the Egypt the Israelites are amazed at what God has done and how he's protected them and this becomes a high point for the people of Israel a point that they will always look back at in chapter 15 of Exodus we see the song of Moses and Miriam Miriam is Moses's sister and she writes this beautiful poem song actually because they sing and they celebrate uh, and through it she's saying that uh, we can sing to the Lord, he's highly exalted, he's protected us from the Egyptians and delivered us and has made a way for us and it uh, becomes a true time of celebration. And uh, from here on out we will see the, that things don't stay as wonderful as they began with the Israelites. Uh, through all of this, when God was proving his faithfulness, you would think that it would make a lasting impression, and they would never again doubt God. But that is not what happens, as we will see next time we uh, talk about uh, Exodus, which we will be covering the Ten Commandments in the next podcast. So I'm hoping that you will see that, that God has promised us great things as he did the Israelites and he was faithful to them. Exodus 14.4 says, The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. This was the promise that Moses said to the Israelites when they were facing Pharaoh's army and they thought they were trapped. And Moses just reminded them that God would fight for them. And I think that's a great memory verse and it's one that we can cling to as well. So some key points from today's lesson. Sometimes evil can imitate good, just the way the magicians were able to imitate a lot of Moses' miracles. Sometimes God can direct the hearts of, of men in a way that hardens their heart so that he can accomplish his ultimate purpose in the lives of his people. You can also see Proverbs 21.1, which talks about this. It says that, God directs the hearts of the king, and I think that's so true. Even those who are not believers in Christ, God can direct their heart. Okay, then the Passover is a beautiful symbol of how the blood of the lamb, which in our case is Jesus, protects believers from the destroyer and from eternal death. I think it's very telling that we look back at Jesus as our Passover lamb. And so when you hear that, phrase you will remember back to the time of the Passover for the Israelites. Okay, and finally that God makes a way for us when there is no way. Isaiah 43, 16 through 19 refers to that too, where it talks about God fights our battles for us. So when you feel like you are overwhelmed and you really cannot continue and that you're up against the wall, remember that God is not. He he controls everything and he fights for us and we can trust him in that. Those of you that are doing the homework lessons, and I hope you are, most of the homework was based on Exodus 14, and we talked about what reason did God give for wanting the people to turn back and camp near the sea. One of the things that we find is that in this passage is that instead of continuing on down next to the sea, God actually directs Moses to get the people near the sea, and I think it's very uh, important for us to remember that sometimes God directs us in a way that doesn't seem logical and doesn't seem to make any sense to anyone else. But it is God who is going to prove his mighty uh, power through his direction. 
And so that's what happened here, and then the Israelites are safely on the other side of the Red Sea. Um, oh, review the rest of your homework if you get a chance to uh, go to the website and see the answers. You can check and see if there's anything else that you might have missed. But I'm sure that after today's lesson and after reading through Exodus 14, you'll have a great understanding of what God was doing in delivering his people which is the point of today's lesson, that God is the one who sets us free. Okay, so for next week, I want you to read through Exodus 20. I'm hoping it'll be next week. I really am going to try and get these podcasts out on a timely basis. And be sure that you, if you have the time to read through the Old Testament, that you read from Exodus 16 through 34. Next week, we will pretty well cover the rest of Exodus. And in covering the Ten Commandments, uh, you would think, well, that's just a fairly short uh, amount of um, the Exodus. But the ramifications for those commandments are continued through the rest of Exodus. So take the time, if you can, to read on through. Thank you so much for spending this time listening to the stories of the Old Testament and to what God has been doing through his people for forever. And I look forward to... Uh, being able to broadcast our next podcast and continuing on on our study. So until next time, God bless.